in life, if you're genuine, people know it and they get it and they understand it and they want to engage with you and they want to mentor to, or you to mentor to them or what have you. But I think the word is being genuine. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We're going to have a discussion today. Actually, we're going we're gonna to challenge one of the words that might have been used in a negative context within the workplace and maybe in your personal life as well. But we're really going to show what is the power that comes when you start changing your relationship with this action, this word, in a way that can actually support you in the growth that you want to have within your business, within your personal life, and really getting to build the right kinds of relationships that allow you to open doors and have some massive success in the process. I have Cody Lowry here, who is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, also known as Mr. Schmooze, and he is the division president for Intermark Group at Birmingham, Alabama, a full-service advertising and marketing agency. But what I love the most about this man is he's written the book, which is Schmooze, What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School. And this is the word we're going to be focusing on today, schmoozing. But I love that this has been coined the modern-day version of Dale Carnegie's iconic work, How to Win Friends and Influence People. We're going to go deeper into how do we reframe this word? What does it mean? How does it serve us? And what are some interesting things that has happened in Cody's life that actually allowed you to be able to understand what happens when you unlock this super power? Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me. Now, I love looking at your bio, looking at what you've done, and you've had a great successful track record within companies. You've worked with the big ones, the small ones. And I just wanted to kind of go over this, like what was one of the first things that got you into the world of marketing and advertising? Because that's been your core industry through your life, isn't it? it yes, it has. Actually, I have two uncles, Jason, who uh, were in the advertising business back in the automotive Detroit heyday, if you will. One was vice president advertising Look Magazine. Uh, some of your listeners and viewers may remember that one. The other one, coincidentally, was vice president advertising for Life Magazine. So you had two competing, you know, iconic magazines, and they both held the same position at each magazine. And they were schmoozers, both of them were. In fact, both of them are in Lee Iacocca's original book that he wrote. And I think it's page 164. He will talk about Fred and Burns Cody. And uh, they actually had a, a party for... Uh, Lee Iacocca, and when he got dismissed from Ford, I don't know if you have a, a party when you get fired, but that's what they did. And so 
you know, I, I guess that's where I, where I, um, you know, got the idea of getting into advertising. And, and then I've always been considered, you know, pretty creative. So that didn't hurt. And, uh, so when I was in college, you know, I, uh, that's what I majored in advertising and public relations. And I had my own agency for 25 years in the Tampa Bay area, again, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then I had a company in Birmingham, Alabama, the the Intermark Group, they they bought my company, and now that is where I reside, and I am a divisional president. I love it. And I have to ask because I mean, when we look at pop culture, talking about advertising, a lot of people are familiar with Mad Men. I was going to ask, do you feel like there's some relevancy to what they display in that era? Are there still some popular good things that happen there, or is it completely fabricated? It's interesting because I was really um, that era w- was true. I can tell you that when I started out, it was very common for us to to go to a you know one of the local hot restaurants and take clients. And I'm a moderate drinker, so I didn't drink a lot. I had a guy that worked for me that drank for both of us. So, and uh, but we used to entertain clients, and it was it was quite common to have a couple drinks at lunch and and schmooze and all that stuff. That doesn't work today, and, and I mean. I can't remember the last time I was ever at a business meeting in the last 25 years where somebody actually had a drink, unless it was a party or something like that. But an actual uh, sit-down lunch or something like that, that's just passe. It doesn't work anymore. Mm. Well, let's talk about this word schmoozing. So like this might be this where the stereotype come from, right? So before we started the podcast, we had our live audience members from uh, Mind Valley members here. We were asking what's coming up in your mind when you hear the word schmoozing. I'd be curious for all of you listening as well. What is it that you're thinking? Is it, is it a positive word? Is it a negative word? I know a lot of people said it was maybe some butt kissing. We talked about how maybe it seems like it's a bit. Did they say butt kissing or? Uh, there was, I think there was some kicking. No, it was kissing. <laughs> No, I was kissing. And oh, then we okay, had okay. Uh, romancing. We had like, uh, some people love to schmooze. So we have already some people that are, are loving it. So mixed response. And, and I, I maybe want to kick it off here, Cody. Like, what is this word? Like, how is it so powerful for you? And how do you see most people interpreting it? Schmooze uh, comes from the Yiddish word, as I said earlier, which or comes from the Yiddish word schmooze, which means to chat idly in a friendly or persuasive manner to, to gain an advantage and, you know, not genuine and, and, and all of those things. And, and I've redefined the word. It's about a winning smile, about making a great first impression. It's about looking out for the little guy and treating all the same, regardless of class. And I've got great stories in the book on, um, on just that. It's about building relationships building relationships that last. We have clients on the books, as I mentioned, 20, 25, 30 years. That's almost unheard of in our business. And yet, and yet we have them. It's also, I didn't realize it till I was really finished with the book, but a common thread, Jason, throughout the book is persistence in a friendly way, if you will. And a, uh, and it's, and it's really worked for me. And uh, I learned persistence at a real young age, you know, most people have a, I say most people, a lot of people have a, a a rags to riches story. And mine was a riches to rags story. My mom was a debutante mom. Her father was superintendent of schools in Detroit for 30 years. There's a high school named after him. He was the first person of Wayne State. And when she grew up, she actually grew up with the, with the Fords and Fisher Body and those people. And she married a 
a well-to-do guy. And unfortunately, they got married. They were both camp counselors at Camp Chicopee in uh, northern Michigan. But when they got married, uh, they had four children. And after about uh, five years, they decided that they would move to Florida, where my dad was going to invest and become a a gazillionaire. Well, it didn't work out. You know, they both became um, very good at drinking. Uh, They were alcoholics. My uh, dad left us when I was about, uh, I guess I was about eight. And uh, within a seven year period, a seven mile radius, we moved 32 times. My favorite saint was uh, St. Vincent de Paul, because I knew he would be there on Christmas and in Thanksgivings. But getting to my point on persistence, you know, my mom instilled in, in the siblings and my brothers and sisters that it didn't matter where we were at this stage in our life, we could pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. We, she said we had blue bud, you know, running through our veins. Well, you know, that was, that was her way of exaggeration after she'd had a few. But, but she did instill in all of us this, this idea that, you know, there's, there's better things to come. And so at age 11, I started selling papers for the Miami News. I would work at after, after school and I would work, you know, on Saturdays I would go and I would work all day. And when you're getting five cents for a paper for each one you sell, you got to be kind of persistent and, and try to sell them. Right. So people go by and I'd say paper, sir, paper, ma'am, it's the Miami news, blue street edition, latest, latest news. And most of them really didn't care. And they would just walk by me. Right. And then I would stop most of them. I'd say, sir, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays you've had? Well, you know, for a nickel, get away with that, right? And I'd say, you got your shoes on your feet, you were born in the state of infancy, and you've only had one birthday the day you were born. So I, I learned at an early age, not just the art of persistence, but also that no didn't necessarily mean no, and that served me well in my advertising career. Mm. Well, I love that you had this kind of, because this can be like organized. You had this, like this thing you tested, which brought a lot of effect. You got some results from it when you were doing the newspaper. But when we talk about in today's life, like these key things you say and ways you behave and ways you show up are still some keys to opening some certain doors or not. And you've had some incredible things happen. Like you've even set up a meeting with the president of the United States in one week. And I'd love to maybe tie that story in into what does that look like in adulthood when you start continuing on knowing the art of schmoozing and using it in a beneficial way? So here's my takeaway from several of those stories. And and as I mentioned in our pre-conversation, you know, that's the sizzle, you know, getting a meeting with the president, uh, getting a, uh, in one way, getting a baseball signed by the Pope, carrying the torch and the Olympic torch relay, auditioning for Saturday. That's the sizzle. And then really the guts of the book and what I want people to really understand is, is that how important it is to, you know, not get wrapped up in our daily world where, you know, we forget about really reaching out to people and communicating with people. My good friend, Nito Quibane, I, I saw somebody from South Carolina, they will, they will know him. He wrote the foreword to the book and he's president of High Point University. And he, he said, Jason, he said, he said, today we live in the most connected society in the history of the world. And yet we are more disconnected than ever before. And I think there, if there was something that I wanted uh, 
your audience to take away from this is that we do have to open up. We have to put our cell phones, the human contact and, and those relationships that we make are far more important than, you know, the likes and the, and the clicks. And when I look back on some of these things that I, uh, that I did or accomplished, if you will, they're because of my ability to, to schmooze really. And one of the things that I try to teach people in the book is, in fact, it's a chapter, it's about being a contrarian. You know, so many of us, we have this fear of people. If somebody walks into the room, Jason, and maybe they're the CEO, maybe they're our boss or whatever, we're in a meeting and we sit there in that, in that meeting and we listen and, and we try to be positive. But I can tell you, I have been in many situations where somebody is in there in the room and they've got an agenda and I honestly don't agree with it. And I let them know that I don't agree with it. And so when they're going right, I take a left. And the story about the president was just that. I was general manager at a Chevrolet store. We were with the owner, the dealer of the store. He was quite an iconic guy. He was also the counselor to Lebanon. He and Danny Thomas started uh, the St. Jude Hospital. He didn't have the uh, notoriety that, that Danny did, but uh, he, was, he was involved in it. And uh, the president was coming into Tampa, and this was Jimmy Carter. Do you remember Jimmy Carter? If I ever tell a lie, I grow another tooth, right? So, but in any event, uh, he was coming into town, and Mr. Abraham, although he was a conservative guy, he was definitely a, a Republican. He looked at, the, at what was happening this summer, and Jimmy Carter was getting a lot of heat from everybody, from the left, from the right, in between. Inflation was at 13%, you know, the, the unemployment was high. But Mr. Abraham thought everyone was kind of piling on. And remember, he was, he was a Democrat and Mr. Abraham was a Republican. So he read this article by Walter Annenberg, who was the founder of Reader's Digest, and it was called A Summer of Discontent. And the thrust of the article was whether you agree or disagree, with the president, he's the only one we got. So let's let's get behind them. I sit there and I, I look at all the people bashing our current president. And I'm not saying that there isn't room for everybody to be bashed and to, you know, have some some negative talk. But at times, I mean, it just gets old, you know. And sometimes you have to sit back and support the guy that's in the White House because he he's the only one we got right now, right? Yeah. So anyway. I'm in a meeting and he's coming into town and I had thought while I'm sitting there in the meeting daydreaming, uh, wouldn't it be neat if we could take that article and we could put it on a big plaque and then when the president's here, we could, we could give it to him, we could present it to him. Mr. Abraham and I could present it to him. And so I blurt out this idea and they look at me like I'm crazy. One of them says, how are you gonna pull that off? He's gonna be here in a week. And I said, well, I don't know. And you know, sometimes, and I tell people, it's okay to be a little naive, you know, because you, you take paths that others wouldn't, right? But sometimes there's, there's gold at the end of that path, right? And for me, that's exactly what happened. I got off the phone. I immediately called Jody Powell's off. He was the right-hand man to Jimmy Carter, and he passed me off to one agency and another agency. And finally, I got a hold of uh, somebody at what they call the scheduling committee. I think that's what they call it today, in fact. And I explained the story that I just explained to you and your audience. The guy got kind of quick with me. 
And he said, um, he said, Mr. Lowry, he said, you know how many people want to meet with the president of the United States in one week? And I said, well, that's probably true. I said, but Mr. Abraham just ran three full page, full color ads and three of Florida's largest newspapers. And he ran the summer of discontent in support of the president in a state that is going to be critical to him in the next election. And this guy started tap dancing. And the next thing you know, he gives me a contact in Tampa. Her name was Keisha Legrand. And Keish is, uh, she was head of the president's schedule. And she had her advanced team in town getting ready, you know. And so I called her up and she didn't really understand what I wanted to do. So she invited me to the hotel. I went to the hotel and and I'm, I've always been involved in politics and intrigued by it all. And so I was uh, really interested in what was going on in these rooms. They had like four rooms together and people were on the phone calling this person or that person. And, and so it was kind of exciting for me. When I sat down with Keish, I explained to her what we wanted to do. And she said, well, I have to check with one other person. Now, I already knew that Jody Powell was, you know, the really close to the president and it couldn't have been him. And, and they already told me that Keish, this person is in charge of the president's schedule. So when she said one other person, I'm thinking, well, it's gotta be the big guy, right? It's gotta be the president. So I left and this is where the schmoozing comes in. When I left, I went to Alessi Bakery. It's an iconic bakery in Tampa. And I got two big cheesecakes, right? And I had them sent to the hotel to Keish, you know, for her and her crew with a little note, Keish, I appreciate everything, whether you can or you can't set up the meeting. Thank you for everything, Cody Lowry. The next morning I'm at the dealership, I'm at my desk and uh, the uh, receptionist calls. She said, she said, Cody, she said, the White House is on the line. I said, oh, really? Well, it wasn't the White House, it was Keish and she was just a few miles away. But um, this is how the schmoozing paid off. She got on the phone and she said, Cody, we've arranged for the meeting with uh, Mr. Abraham and the president. And I got so excited, you know? I said, Keisha, is there any way I could go? She said, no, she said, that isn't gonna be possible. So then she goes on and she's explaining what has to be done. And most of it's security kinds of things. And when she was done, I said, Keish, is there any way that maybe I could go. And there was this pause. And she said, Cody, I'll handle it. Thanks for the cheesecake. So there's a little schmooze for you. And it got me into the meeting that I, that I otherwise probably wouldn't have been there. Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That's amazing. And what I like is that it seems like when you did it, there was an intention 
right? There was actually an agenda. I mean, you're taking an extra effort to do something that shows you care about this person, you're paying attention. And I feel like that's an art that like we have a resistance to it now, or is it, is it because we've seen some cases where this has been taken too far? What you did right there is just you decided to take care of someone and do a little gesture that would be considered nice and it paid huge dividends. Is it just more difficult now to do? Because I'm hearing also of cases where it's like, uh, there's like a, a term for it, right? Like, I don't want to go all the way to say like bribing here, but at the same time, there are some things, especially in the political field that kind of keeps caution to that. So is there a place to draw the line? Well, I don't know about draw the line, but I do think that in life, if you're genuine, people know it and they get it and they understand it and they want to engage with you and they want to mentor to, or you to mentor to them or what have you. But I think the word is being genuine. I think uh, that that separates the uh, real schmoozers now from the Eddie Haskells. I don't know if anybody out there remembers Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. Hello, Mr. Wow, that's a beautiful hair. Do you have, you know, so um, yeah, I think it's all about being genuine. So when we talk about wanting to go forward, to have this art of schmoozing, to bring this into your life, this idea of being genuine, I think is key because, you know, I can think about how it also translates in the digital world, right? There's a lot of people that are doing marketing activities and it's not necessarily for the goal of making an impact or building relationships. It's a very self-centered, very self-serving kind of perspective on how they're like, okay, I'm going to do this content strategy because I know it's going to help me do better on the marketing and all these things. But again, it's like, it's not putting the right intention first. When you want to go out there and build relationships, do the art of schmoozing, having this genuineness, are there certain activities that we should ask ourselves, like questions we should ask ourselves or things we should be clear about before we start using this art of schmoozing? Yeah. And Jason, as, as it relates to building the relationships, most people don't realize it, but in the first 30 to 60 seconds, people have already made a value judgment on you on whether or not they want to do business with you. They want to, you know, they want to date you. They want to engage with you, that whatever, whatever it is. And so I think it's important when, in fact, I just did a TV interview in, in Dallas and they were, you know, in this COVID world, you know, how do you, how do you actually do an interview on the Zoom? And, and you do it the, the same way. Number one, you're genuine. Number two, you try to build that re relationship quickly. You know, I've had some great success in business and, and closing business that I probably shouldn't have closed. But one of the, the keys to building relationship is understand that it, it's not a two-year process, a year process, even a month process. It starts in the first few minutes. And, you know, I never, I never went into a meeting cold. If I went in and, and I was pitching a, a CEO, let's say, and I mean, I knew where he was from. I knew what college he went to. I knew the charities he belonged to. I knew the country club. I knew the colleges that maybe his kids were going to. So I did my homework, right? And I wasn't trying to sell him something. What I was trying to do was build the relationship. And I get in front of salespeople all the time. I'm going to be there um, two days and that's one of the things that I want to get across to them. It's not about selling. It's about building the relationship. You build the relationship and the business will come. I've got a great story if we have time, but it happened many years ago in my profession. Saatchi and Saatchi, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar 
international advertising agency represented all of the Toyota dealers in the Charlotte area. And I um, uh, got a call from somebody up there, one of the dealers and said, hey, the dealers are getting, we're gonna be at the Grove Park and we're gonna have dinner. I want you to come up and meet them. So I thought it was a preamble to, you know, the big presentation, right? So I immediately, you know, acquiesce and say, yeah, I'm coming. And, and so there I was a couple of weeks later at the Grove Park Inn. I got there a little late. They were already at a cocktail party. And I walk into the room and with the exception of two people out of maybe 12, uh, they were the only two that I knew. So what I wanted to do in short order was find out as much as I can about the people that I may have an opportunity to actually make a, a formal presentation to. So we had dinner and drinks and, you know, I was born with a lampshade on my head. So I got some great jokes and uh, I built a relationship with those people. And then I'm at dinner and one of the dealers says to me, he said, uh, who did you bring with you? And I said, who did I bring with me? And they go, yeah, did you bring other people with you? I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, that formal presentation, Jason, wasn't a month off. It was the next morning. I had no idea. The other agencies were already getting there with the hotel and they had four or five people. And here I had myself, I had my uh, a brand new, what I call a sizzle reel. And that I said, that was done. That was in my bag, I had a few business cards. But I wasn't prepared to make a presentation uh, to this group. I didn't know any. I knew media, but I didn't know the uh, I wasn't intimate with the Charlotte market. I knew what our creative strategy was, but I didn't have any creative to show them. I didn't have any, you know, media buys that I could show. And I I uh, went up to my room that night and I was going to call the president in the morning and just tell him that uh, what happened and. Uh, regrettably, uh, that I wouldn't be making a, a formal presentation. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought about moving when I was a little kid and selling newspapers. And then I have, you know, in, in my whole career, I've, I've been in front of people and, and had an opportunity to present or to act or to do stand-up comedy or what have you. And I said, you know what, the hell with it. I, I'm going to give it a shot. So the next morning, there I was, there was like three other agencies. And I said, they all had three or four different people with them. The, you know, the guy, the president and the, the other people, they were all dressed in their Brooks Brothers suit. There was a media person. There was the big portfolios and, and, you know, I introduced myself and they kind of dismissed me quite honestly. I mean, who's this guy kidding? And he get up there and give him a business card. Well, in advertising, and I will tell your people out there in podcast land, there's two places to be when you're making a presentation. You're either one or you're either the first presentation or the last presentation. And they put me last. I didn't ask for it, but they gave it to me. Probably just to humor me. I don't know. But anyway, they called me in there. And when I walked into the room, they all knew me. Cody, how you doing, man? Hey, that was great last night. And now I'm schmoozing, right? And I get up there. And I make a very, very good presentation. They almost have to drag me off the stage, right? But then they asked me to wait out in the, the lobby. And in this particular segment, automotive, 
these guys make the decision really quick. It's not one of these situations where you're going to have to wait, you know, a month or something. So I'm out there and I'm talking to, uh, you know, all the other agencies and, you know, getting, getting to know them. And all of a sudden, a, a gentleman by the name of Joe Bertolami, I will never forget him, an Italian guy, an Italian dinner. He says, Mr. Lowry, he says, we want to talk to you. He says, come on in, you know. So we, I go into the room and uh, they all stand up and applaud. You got the account. And I had that account for over 10 years until I, what they call tier two advertising went to one national agency. But that changed, that changed my life right there. It was all about building that relationship early. Mm. So this is incredible. And you actually were able to build that even the day before. This was the key, right? Like are the other agencies, they were just not playing the same game. They weren't aware of this art as much as you were? So, no, well, and they really aren't. I'm not sure so many of them are today. Everybody's worried about selling, making the sale, making the sale. Build a relationship, build a relationship. Build, the sales will follow. You won't mm. be able to count your money, right? But no, I think I, uh, I had the advantage, a moment where one of the dealers called me, hey, come on up and get the, and that's how he explained it. Meet the dealers, we're having dinner and blah, blah. He didn't say, you know, that we're making a formal presentation. So they didn't have the opportunity. I'm sure they would have if they were invited to the same dinner that I was, but uh, to my great fortune, they weren't invited. <laughs> nice. So this is really key. And I'd say today is even as relevant, right? Like this is not an art that has transitioned over time or has been changing unless you feel that it has. It seems to me it's just as relevant as ever. And even as you mentioned, the technology connecting us is still leaving us disconnected. It seems like people are more thirsty, more looking for kind of that breath of fresh air of someone who genuinely cares, who actually cares about building that relationship and going a little bit more of the extra mile. Because it seems like most people have become more complacent, or at least not as interested in building these kinds of relationships. Would you say that? Uh, I would say you seen? are spot on, Jason. They, mm. they don't understand it. And, and they, they don't get it. And, and, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. And some of us allowed us to, you know, be a little more gregarious or open in our personalities. It seems like I was always fighting for attention. I was the class clown and, you know, the, the comedian in high school. And, and uh, so, you know, that, that's where I came from. And so maybe I was a little more predisposed to schmoozing, if you will. Fair enough. This has been a fantastic conversation. And this is so good because a lot of people, again, we started with understanding that there might be a negative association with schmoozing, but what we've seen through Cody's stories and the development of how he builds his relationship is always this start with building the relationships first, invest your time in that, invest in knowing the people, doing the research, actually caring, not necessarily just be focused on closing the sale. That's going to be a time and a place for that. But most of your conversions are going to come from the work you've done before, because actually building relationships is something we all do as human beings. And I wanted to kind of close on this last aspect, which I think is the one which takes it home because you talk about how you never let them down. And I wanted you to elaborate a bit more about that versus what do you see and how do you do it different when you have that mindset of never letting them down? So Jason, in business, and like I said, we have long-term clients and these clients become friends, but first and foremost, I mean, they are, uh, at least in my case, these are high powered people who have certain goals that, that they have to attain. And 
I laugh a lot. I, I'll, it'll, I'll be home on, a, on maybe a Sunday. You know, my phone will ring, you know, and I'm their blankie, right? And I, I have a choice to make when I look at that phone. I can, you know, I'm not here, not available now, all those little prompts they, they give you. And I always answer it. And I answer it because I know there's a reason that they call. They wouldn't be calling me on a Sunday or a Saturday if it wasn't something important and something relevant to what's going on in, in their business right now or go on in their business the next week. And, and they feel comfortable because of the relationship we have of calling me. You know, I'm sure other people that they deal with, they, they probably wouldn't call on a Sunday or, or a Saturday, but they feel comfortable, you know, calling me. And if I can help them, I, I do. And I think that's one thing that people will need to have in place to understand that, hey, make yourself available. And what you talked about is just the fact that they wouldn't even call if they didn't have that trust. They wouldn't even call if they didn't have that relationship. Exactly. And so if you can be that person, you cannot let them down. And once you've had the account, like you've had a track record of keeping accounts for 30 years, right? Right. This is, this is incredible. And I think there's a lot of people that they can learn on what happens when you go the extra mile and really take care of these people. Schmoozing is a beautiful thing and they should definitely start to teach it at business school so that people can communicate better, be able to build relationships, scale their business with the key accounts that they want to grow. And I just want to say one more time, Cody Lowry, thank you so much for sharing here on Superhumans at Work. We're going to be having an additional Q&A with our members here. So for those of you who aren't members, definitely have a look at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to find out more. And for those of you who want to pick up a copy of the book, look for Schmooze, what they should teach at Harvard Business School so that you can find your way to use this art into your advantage and really turn you into a superhuman. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mindvalley Membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. <laughs>